BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a highly excitable and flipped script edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. But before we get into the fun, we're going to have a little fun. So there's three things I want to cover before we get into uh, sort of the meat of uh, today's show. And the first thing, we have an official sponsor. Uh, this is super cool. Those that have listened to the podcast for years, uh, we've never really had an official sponsor. And now we do. Our sponsor is legendarydrinkware.com. They make the absolutely the coolest tumblers and pint glasses that you've ever seen. As a fan, and I have one in my hand right now, as a fan, it literally is like having your own championship trophy. The glass, as you enjoy your beverage of choice, salutes you with the walk with the script Alabama A. It is phenomenal. The craftsmanship uh, is uh, is beyond measure. These are the cool, like I said, the coolest tumblers and pint glasses I think I've ever seen. There's more to come on how I found these guys and how we connected. Uh, there's more of that coming later in this show. But if you can't wait to check them out, go to legendarydrinkware.com, which, by the way, happens to be just a super cool name, legendarydrinkware.com. That is just phenomenal. Check them out and order your Alabama glasses there. And if you'll use code AFB10, think of Alabama football 10% discount. So AFB10, you'll get a 10% discount on all of your purchases. Uh, and that'll be an indication to them that you heard of them from us. And uh, we appreciate sort of the salute there. Number two, we are doing a contest where you can win a pair of legendary legendary drinkware glasses. And so it can either be the the pint or the tumbler. It's your choice. Again, go to the website and check them out because you know you're going to want one. But if you will email me your best Bryant Denny fan experience story, that is your entry. So email that to us at alabamafootballpodcast.com. We'll collect those entries and we will identify a winner. We're going to keep this. Uh, we may run a couple of editions, uh, iterations of the contest. So, uh, in, or uh, entry, you know, get your entries in early and often. Uh, we're going to pick a winner in about two weeks. We're going to announce that during the Mississippi State Show. Uh, but if you can't wait, AFB ten for a ten percent discount. And uh, item three, the listener support at the uh, All America levels, the uh, listener support campaign. Uh, we're obviously going to, we're going to persist that forward. Uh, the All-American level is eligible for a ticket entry into uh, a giveaway for the Mississippi State Contest. 
And lo and behold, here it is uh, uh, creeping into um, late October. And so we're going to announce a winner Friday. As I'm recording this, it's Sunday night. We're going to announce a winner Friday. Uh, so it's not too late to join the support campaign at the All-America level uh, to gain entry into that contest. Uh, come sit next to me at the game and uh, we'll celebrate Nick's uh, birthday as we watch Alabama take on Mississippi State. Pre-drink, pre-game drinks, post-green uh, game drinks, you know, uh, we'll sort of make a, an experience out of it. But uh, uh, don't hesitate to enter. And I would just tell you, friendly, sort of wink, wink, nod, nod, there's not a whole lot of people at that level. And a, and, and a significant handful of those individuals are out of state, out of country. Uh, so if you are within uh, driving distance of the stadium and could make that game, this might be an easy way to uh, to win a ticket. So give that uh, give that a go. And I lied. I have one more sort of administrivia thing that I want to cover. Uh, I've received a little bit of feedback that the audio uh, has not been uh, very good. And I thought it might have been a, a hearing aid issue. But uh, it turns out, checked uh, with producer Brian. And uh, it's a, it, we think it's something with the mic that we're using. And uh, we've had this one for a long time. So we're going to replace it. We have a new mic on order. So we'll go from there. And hey, Bill, we kid because we love. All right. So let's get on to the good stuff. This is why you tuned in, right? So Alabama faces Georgia yesterday, Saturday. And uh, Alabama, I thought, was quite convincing in putting up a 41 to uh, 24 uh, point victory, 41 to 24, 17 point victory. Uh, our Swedish correspondent actually picked the score in one of our Zoom calls. And so that was uh, that was exciting. Uh, certainly the game was as well. And so why don't we just jump around it right in, you know, as we do. And we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. Some of the uh, some of the stats that we have here on, off- on offense are just phenomenal. Almost on a weekly basis now, there's a new record that's being set or tied or broken or shattered. Uh, and and sometimes the, the these stats are pretty phenomenal. Uh, but let's think about what this matchup was. This was Alabama, the number one rated offense facing Georgia, the number one rated defense. And so you realize something's got to give uh, in this game. And it looks like it was the uh, it was a Georgia defense that yielded. And so think about these numbers when you think about the Alabama offense facing the number one rated defense in the country. That also was an SEC or is an SEC defense and also is built by a, now we're going to say a son of Saban, but a a coach from the Saban tree who has built a program in the likeness of Saban. Uh, so, you know, the highest form of praise, right? So think about these numbers in, in the context of this contest, uh, contest. Alabama puts up 41 points, 33 first downs, 564 yards, 34 minutes time of possession, three touchdowns off of turnovers. So every time Georgia turned over the ball, Alabama punched it in for points. That's pretty impressive. The Alabama quarterback threw for 417 yards, two, not one, but two wide receivers racked up more than 160 yards and a running back against what was not only the number one defense, but certainly the number one run defense, racked up 152 yards, a singular singular back uh, averaging almost five a pop. This Alabama offense is built for production, and that's what we're absolutely seeing. The last couple of years, we've seen Alabama offenses produce. Tua certainly is legendary in in his own right. This offense is exceeding every expectation that could have ever existed. This Alabama offense is producing at a higher rate, at a higher clip than offenses under Tua and sort of a universal or college football-wide uh, comparison. This Alabama offense is on a pace uh, to blow uh, to blow away all of the records, all the, all the standards that uh, LSU set last year. So, uh, and, you know, Joe Burrow and all of sort of those, those stories. Mac Jones is rewriting that, that story, and it's absolutely phenomenal. Let's think about some of the stars that really just popped on Saturday. We talked about Mac Jones. We've talked about the production. All of it sort of hinges on the quarterback, and wow, did he deliver. Uh, 24 of 32, so 75% passing. You know, this is a quarterback that Saban has said time and time again, 
that one of the biggest sort of obstacles or hurdles that he's had to overcome is overcoming his own mistake when there's a bad play sort of getting out of his own head so that he can so that he can carry on and, and sort of play the next play well his first pass was tipped and intercepted and so when you look when you think about the context of his performance he came out and laid an egg from from the jump not entirely his fault he's th- throwing to an open receiver and the pass was blocked so it's it's not directly on him, but still, those are the types of things that can rattle a quarterback. Those are the types of things, knowing the teeth of the defense that he's playing against, and the first time he he rears back to throw, it gets batted down and intercepted. That's the thing. That's the kind of thing that can that can weigh on a quarterback. And so you know, put all of this performance in that context. That's how the game started. Mac Jones, twenty four of 75 percent passing, again four hundred and seventeen yards. Uh, and four touchdowns. We talked about the one interception, four touchdowns. He really scattered uh, – I, I would say he scattered the ball all over the field. He did that, but it was concentrated uh, to uh, to a couple of receivers. To de- so Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, who typically sort of compete back and forth for who's going to have the bigger day, it's harder to say. It's a little bit hard uh, to say who had the better day. Uh, Devonta Smith uh, had 11 receptions, 167 yards, two touchdowns, uh, and then Waddle, Waddle counter, counters with 161 yards on six touches, on six catches, uh, only a touchdown, but it was another 90-yarder, which is talking about flipping the field and, and just you know putting a stake in the heart of the defense. Uh, a 90-yard touchdown certainly can do that. Uh, Devonta Smith, what do you want to say about this guy? For me, this revelation just kind of came last night watching watching the game. Devonta Smith playing football is art. If you could take an exhibit of him playing football, just his his play and and sort of slow it down and put that on a loop, I would just I would you know put that in a museum and I'm gonna sit there all day and watch it because it's phenomenal. Uh, Devonta Smith playing football is art. It's not artistic. It is art. It is it itself is art. Uh, his hands are magical. Uh, the way he competes for the ball, uh, the way he he creates sort of a catch envelope that if the quarterback can place it there, then the quarterback is going to have a high degree of confidence that Devonta is going to catch the ball. That's that's the type of competitor he is. To look at him lined up, he he he's smallish, frail might even come to mind. But this guy has the heart of a champion. Is a fierce fierce competitor. And uh, certainly someone that we're happy to have uh, suit up for Alabama in his performance again uh, Saturday against Georgia was just outstanding. By the way, he's something of a Georgia killer. Uh, obviously, we all know second 26 that he put up a couple of years ago, but just uh, in all of his games against uh, Georgia, he, he has been productive. There's almost not a team he hasn't been productive against because he's pretty universally productive. Uh, but God bless uh, Smitty. How he has somehow been underrated, uh, you know, relative to some of the other uh, receivers is itself amazing. But what he does is phenomenal. It's a work of art. Go back and watch the game and just focus on him all night. Uh, every play, it's it's um, there's some there's some magical uh, to that. And then Jalen Waddle, you know, at the same time, you know, lavish praise we heap on him as well. Uh, six, uh, like we said, six six catches, uh, one sixty one. Uh, that's an insane average there. And again, a 90 yarder that he just made look effortless. It looked almost, I mean, some of the, some of the setup and, and a little bit of the sort of the route run, but the fact that uh, uh, 90 yarder, I think against uh, Texas A&M, it was an 87 yarder, same set, looked like uh, same side of the field, same, just, you know, lay it up there, catch it, score a big touchdown. Uh, fans go wild and it put it, it put, really puts a stake in the heart of, the uh, the opponent defense uh, in Georgia, Georgia was uh, the receiving of, the receiving end of that uh, Saturday. Najee, what do you want to say about Najee? He took this team on his shoulder. It's almost as if he had been watching Derrick Henry tape. Uh, he put this game on his shoulder. Uh, Thirty one uh, touches. That's a big number for a running back, uh, especially running backs at Alabama. That's a big number for Najee. Uh, but uh, he pounded out, literally pounded out. Uh, 152 running, uh, rushing yards, which is phenomenal. He had so many carries, and they were sort of woven into the offense that never did I really have the impression that that he was carrying the ball a whole lot. Like Derrick Henry, you knew that he's going to continue to pound it. I think we scattered the ball around, uh, but Najee ended up with 31 carries, a uh, buck 52, 
I knew that he his number was getting up there, but I didn't realize the number was that large until the end of the game. And that's just methodical, methodical, methodical. Uh, and he continued to compile one touchdown on the night, uh, uh, right at five. It was four a four point nine uh, average. But uh, talk about production. That was just phenomenal. Uh, you can't talk about any of those performances without giving high praise to uh, uh, Kurt Flood and the offensive line. Every one of them, uh, I thought, played very well. Uh, you know, perfect isn't the uh, the the objective, right? You practice for perfect. You play. You're not gonna. You know that there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be issue. There's gonna be opposition. So perfection isn't the goal, uh, but consistent production is. And this offensive line delivered. Uh, in the passing game, in the running game, one of their best performances of the season without question. And we have to be really proud uh, of these young men uh, competing and then Kyle and, and, and then Kurt Flood with uh, – and it's not Kurt Flood, it's Kyle Flood. Ah, these, I'm at an age where I have so many names in my head that similar names, I just get the wrong one to come out. So, uh, all right, but that's what we've got. The offensive line was phenomenal. And uh, I don't know. I thought they, I thought they blocked well uh, for for Mac uh, and Najee all night long. You know, I thought the offense answered. There were multiple times. You know, I don't want to break down sort of the the play by play or, or the box score necessarily, but uh, you know, early in the game, uh, Alabama and Georgia, Georgia uh, traded turnovers, and Alabama turned uh, uh, our turnover or their turnover of Georgia uh, into a touchdown to to take the lead. Uh, traded a couple of punts. And even when we were punting, when Alabama was punting, I I, I was pleased with how Alabama was moving the ball. Um, you know, Georgia punted twice, Alabama punted twice. Georgia, when they punted, uh, they had eight plays for a net of one yard. Uh, and so that's the Alabama defense really performing. Even though it was sort of lost in the first half, that's the Alabama defense uh, performing well. Again, eight plays for one yard. Alabama Meanwhile, racked up 10 plays for 45 yards. So that's on average, that's staying on schedule. And so, uh, you know, had had it been a smooth distribution of, of yards and downs, Alabama would have continued to move the, uh, move the ball. But the point is they were, the Alabama offense was moving the ball. Even though they resulted in punts, there was, you know, I was still sort of heartened by uh, the fact that the tide was moving the ball more efficiently than, than the dogs. Uh, at that point, Georgia scored a touchdown to tie it up. Uh, Alabama had to punt, but again, moving the ball, uh, they had five touches uh, for 28 yards. So again, had that been a smooth distribution, uh, it's not, and it, that's not how the game is played. But uh, nonetheless, you look for those types of sort of hints in what's happening within the action. You know, Georgia scored another touchdown to make it seven to 14. That starts to add pressure. That dials up pressure on both the offense uh, and and the defense. And I think from that point on, there were six uh, scoring possessions uh, consecutive, uh, both, you know, both sides, uh, both sides scoring. You know, Georgia scored, uh, scored that touchdown, uh, came back, uh, scored another field goal. And, and what, here's what's interesting is that Alabama, and, and it was that circumstance that we talk about on the podcast that, you know, sometimes I just, I just hate, where Georgia had the ball appeared that they were going to have the ball the last possession of the half. And then we knew that they got the ball the first uh, possession of the second half. And they scored a touchdown on that possession. Now, they scored it with 23 seconds left. So, technically, it would not have been, you know, back-to-back possessions. Alabama was going to was gonna get the possession there for, for 23 seconds. Now, if we if the tie just takes a knee, doesn't do anything, then they're not doing anything with that possession. And, it, and it, so it's still an opportunity for Georgia to put – you know, sort of back-to-back touchdowns, uh, you know, on the field. But what Alabama proceeded to do is say, hey, we're going to cash in these 23 seconds and see if we can't make something work. And I think that was something of a turning point. It wasn't the turning point, but it was a turning point in the game where, where Alabama moved the ball down the field, I want to say 40, 41 yards in those uh, 20 seconds. Uh, there were distinctly three seconds left on the clock. Uh, Saban was very clear on that. Uh, and then we're going to spike the ball so that we can line up for a kick. And the fact that – and I, and I know we're going to get to special teams, but the, the fact that we took advantage of those uh, 23 seconds, moved the ball down the field very effectively, uh, productively, and then we were able to kick a long field goal to insert a score going into half 
And then just showing that, you know, this offense here to play, we can move the ball, even in a hypercritical, uh, high-pressure situation, clock burning, top defense, still able to move the ball down and connect on the kick. So we'll talk about special teams in a little bit. I thought that that was a uh, turning point uh, in the game. And if I, uh, in fact, um, if we talk about, uh, I think in the intro, we talked about sort of a flipped uh, script edition of the, the podcast. One of the scripts, I've got a couple of them sort of layered in, one of the uh, scripts that was flipped in this game is 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 just the offense sort of writ large. The offense, I think, is now one of the reasons, if not the reason, that opponents don't want to play Alabama. That was a mantra that Saban, Saban brought. We want to be a team that other teams don't want to play. We want to be a team that can make their ass quit. And typically you think of that in the context of a hard-nosed stout, punch you in the mouth, um, you know, take away your lollipop, uh, style defense. And and while that remains true, and that's where we want the defense to get, we're not rooting against that, you know, still being true uh, sort of down the stretch. But right now, Alabama took it to the number one defense in the in the country and put up insane, uh, incredible stats. And I think the rest of the the rest of the schedule is looking at this Alabama team and saying, they will only get better because that defense is going to improve. They have even more weapons on offense than what we're than what we're even seeing uh, to to date. Um, this is a team that I don't want to play. This is a team that potentially could embarrass us pretty bad. This is a team that could put fifty on us without even sort of batting an eye. And uh, so we don't want to play them. So I think that there is a little bit of script flip going on uh, in terms of the offense, just the stoutness. Uh, of the um, of the offense. All right, mini game ball for offense. I am going uh, my mini game ball for uh, offense. Uh, Alabama versus Georgia's Miller Forstall. Uh, anyway, three catches for for twenty nine. This is a guy that went down with injury uh, early in the game. Uh, you could look at maybe some of the punt situations and and reason that sort of the glue guy, the tight end that Saban puts all over the field, moves around, uh, plays him uh, over several other guys, an extreme amount of confidence, knows the system, uh, been been in the system forever. So you could you could reason that he could have uh, maybe assisted in making a couple of those first downs, but he went out of the game and not just went out of the game, he was carted out of the game. That typically, when someone is carted out of the game, that typically is a pretty good clue. They might be done for the season. And uh, Miller goes back into the locker room, and what looks like essentially they, you know, they taped him up uh, pretty good. It was an ankle uh, injury, and lower leg is what, what we might sort of hear officially in the media. Uh, but it was an ankle, uh, uh, an ankle injury, and so it looks like maybe they uh, they spatted him up, taped uh, taped him up good, and and he came back out and uh, and he performed really really well. Um, for, for the balance of the game. So hats off to Miller Forrestall. He is the mini game ball for this week's game. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, now let's flip the script on defense. And, you know, before we do that, I want to I just want to have a little life lesson opportunity here. Uh, I want to talk about uh, a couple of the couple of rules of goal setting. And uh, I promise we'll tie this back to football and we'll tie this back to this game specifically. But uh, think about goal setting. Right. If you have somebody has a really lofty goal, how do you go about that? What's the easiest way to to kind of do that? How do you maintain how do you get motivation and maintain uh, motivation? And so uh, let me help you with a couple with a little bit of that and then. Like I said, we'll kind of tie that back to the game. And so I think the first thing you do is just start with small steps. You take someone like me who could use lose to, you know, you lose some weight, right? I'm not going to lose it all in a week. I'm not going to lose it all in a month. It's going to take some time. So it's a process, as Saban might say. And so what you want to do is you start 
with small steps. And so let's start to tie this back just to the game, just a little bit, right? You know, an NFL team isn't going to wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? We ought to be the 85 Bears on defense. Why don't we just why don't we just go out and do that? You have the idea, but you have to work for it. You have to strive for it. You know, similarly, a college football team, much like this Alabama team in 2020, isn't going to wake up one day and say, hey, we want to be the 2014 Alabama Crimson Tide defense. It doesn't work that way. You can't just wake up and say, huh, that's what we that's what we're gonna, that's what we're going to be today. Uh, as if that were a game plan, as if that were um, so readily available. What you do, though, is you wake up with that idea and you start efforting in that direction. Small steps, small steps. And so in this game, I think there were a couple small steps that were taken. Two shutout quarters, I think, uh, are, are two small steps that we can absolutely look at and that, that this defense can hang their, their hat on. Another way, when you think about goal setting, you know, you start with the small steps and you build on it every day. But how do you maintain motivation? It's easy to get up and say, oh, I'm going to conquer the world. And then you know, by noon or or maybe the next day or maybe the end of the first week, it's hard to sort of, oh, this goal is so it's so large. How do, how do we progress? How do how do we win this? And so what you really want to do is you want to f- focus on your progress. You it, you accumulate the small steps. And so if you want to drop 30 pounds and you and you're and you've already lost 10, you don't focus on the 20 that you have left to go because that's that is an insurmountable goal today. You can't, we can't solve that today, but we can work towards it. What you can do, what you can draw motivation from is the 10 that you've already lost. Look back, turn around and look back to see how far you've already come and realize if we maintain the path that we're on, we're going to get there. And so again, I think this game assists in that direction. You know, the two shutout quarters, I think even if we go back to uh, the Ole Miss game, there were a couple of key points where the defense did stand up and make plays and force kicks uh, and they did that again uh, against Georgia. So a little life lesson, but I think it applies, you know, to the defense. Let's celebrate this performance not as an arrival of a finished product, but let's celebrate this defense as progress over what we saw last week, and progress towards the goal that we all share and have for this defense. So 24 points in the first half—that's uncomfortable. Zero points in the entire entirety of the second half. That looks really good. Uh, having allowed uh, 414 yards, 145 yards rushing in this game, that's uncomfortable. But their quarterback throwing 18 of 40 passing, that's a little more comfortable. Uh, three interceptions in, in this game. That's something that we can rally around. Those are the types of things that we can that we can build around. One of the things that Saban said in his post game. And this was on the field post game, and as soon as he said it, I just yelled at my TV, just in agreement, uh, being in accord with with the coach. And uh, it's and it actually was something that I was talking about uh, to my wife. I was talking to her about it, not with her, because she just listens and nods, which is awesome. But Saban said that the key to defense isn't always the stats, but it's the stops. The key to defense is stopping. The opponent, and so there were multiple times where Alabama stopped Georgia and forced a field goal. They missed one of them. Um, we nearly Alabama defense nearly had them stopped uh, to force a field goal going in the half, and uh, the quarterback drew us off sides. Uh, once we didn't make contact, the Alabama def- defender didn't make contact, and so. Uh, but the second time, uh, the defender did. And so that allowed them a fresh set of downs to score a touchdown. So we were mm, that close to keeping them from uh, from scoring a touchdown there. Uh, but again, th- these are this is progress. And, uh, and again, the defense was able to sort of flip the script. The defense was able to, to turn, and, and I was using the terminology, you know, turn the game over. Uh, when you're scoring, you know, touchdown, touchdown, and it's sort of a tit for tat, what you don't want to do is fall out of – out of cadence. You don't, don't want to fall out of cue. That's what happened to Ole Miss last, last week. We were going back, uh, back and forth trading touchdowns. When they, had to, when they had to kick a field goal, it took them out of the cadence. It took them out of the, 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 the pace of the game. And so you could say that was the defense sort of inserting into uh, inserting their presence into that. Same thing happened here with Georgia. It wasn't as high, uh, high scoring, but there was a stretch where there were scores being traded 
and the defense stood up, uh, namely in, in way of interception, uh, but forcing a field goal uh, at one point, uh, forcing a field goal attempt that uh, that was a miss at another. I, I think we should we should take this for what it is. Again, it's not the arrival of sort of the end state, but let's recognize it as progress towards a goal. Let's look at what we saw on defense this week. Measure it back to last week and say, hey, this is pretty good progress. I know it's a it's not an apples and apples comparison, uh, because I think the Ole Miss offense and Arkansas may beg to differ, but uh, I think the Ole Miss offense is a little more explosive than than Georgia's. So it's not a one for one comparison, but it is something that we can look at, and I think that we can recognize as uh, as progress. So let's do that. Uh, let's look at some individual performances. Uh, Malachi Moore, I think, is a developing star. I know he plays star, but he is a developing star. He is going to be uh, phenomenal. Continue to watch his play. Uh, I thought his interception, it was a tipped uh, it was a tipped ball, and uh, it was a terrible throw into triple coverage. But uh, that was at a point where they were trying to – Georgia was trying to answer uh, for Waddle's long touchdown. And so the, the fact that – and they drove the field. They were having success. Uh, so the fact that uh, uh, Kai was able to uh, pick that ball off and then return it for, you know, 30, 40 yards to, to set up an, uh, the offense going the other way, which led to a touchdown, uh, I thought was phenomenal. I thought Christian Harris had um, – I thought he had an okay day. Uh, what, what's going to stand out is the the big touchdown that he allowed. And th- the commentators are right, but they're only right to a point. You know, when he went out – uh, so it was a wide, it was a slot receiver that had sort of linebacker coverage, and the receiver went out to uh, to the boundary, and Christian Harris went with him, and so you know stop tape right. Why do you have a middle linebacker covering a receiver uh, out near uh, out near the boundary? That's going to be the receiver we need to go to. So I agree with that. You should that that you know on paper that's the matchup you want, uh, and you want that that matchup on paper on on the field as well, right? So that that was that was the targeted receiver when Stetson saw that he knew where he was going to go go with the ball, and I agree that's 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 not uh, at issue. What for me is at issue is Christian Harris's technique in the coverage. I thought he played it very very poorly. Um, he was lined up and 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 so covering, you know, down the field. Maybe he thought it was going to be a slant. Uh, maybe he thought it was going to be a little bit of a crossing route. And so he was beat pretty quickly. And the ball was put up, you know, he lofted, you know, almost immediately. And so what Christian Harris did was just horrible technique. He knew that he was beat, and he just just jumped in the air. And it was almost a flail. It was almost look at me, try hard, is how I thought. Uh, I'm not piling on the guy, but I looked at it and, and, and he, you know, he wanted almost to have an excuse for not making the play. Look how hard I tried. I jumped up in the air. I gave everything I could. And that's, that's, that's just a horrible technique. What he should, what, what he should have done. And I think this is coaching that, that, that he'll receive because athletically he could have made a much better play than that. He was out of position, but he was not that far out of position. He wasn't out of position to the degree that he could not have made multiple options of better plays. So here are some options of better plays that, that Christian Harris could have had same play, different decision. Instead of flailing for a ball that, that he wasn't going to touch for a receiver that he had already beaten, had been beaten by, he should have, when he saw the ball in the air, when he saw that he had been, been beaten, he should have just turned and run and ran as fast as he could towards the receiver. Now, that's going to make up some space because what happened on that pass is it was a little bit underthrown. He didn't lead, Stetson didn't lead the receiver out in front where the receiver could just run on the run under the ball uh, like the old Jerry Judy catches, right, where he could just run under the ball, uh, the pass, doesn't have to break uh, stride, doesn't have to break, uh, break pace. And if he was already pulling away, he's going to catch the ball as he continues to pull away. No, no, no. It wasn't that. It was an underthrown, in, in a relative way, it was an underthrown ball. And so Christian Harris was in a position, out of position, but in position to run himself into position if he had just turned and run to their receiver. And so think about, had he done that, there's three things that would have uh, most likely could have happened. He could have, in just running and singular focused on 
the receiver, he could have just run right through the receiver. Now, that would have been pass interference, but that's a 15-yard penalty and not a touchdown. So I would take pass inter- I would take him leveling flat out like a steamroller the, the, the receiver in that situation. Now it would look funny and we would say, why don't you turn your head to the ball? And we would have commentary for that, but comparison, I'll take that every day versus the touchdown. So, okay. So that's one thing he could have done. He certainly could have gotten closer to the defender such that, or to the receiver, such that had the receiver caught the ball, he could have just tackled him out of bounds right there. And so it's not a penalty, uh, it, it's not an inc- incomplete pass. It's a, it's a completion at the point of catch, but immediately he's hit and knocked out of bounds. I'll take that over the touchdown. He could have, and this is a third option. You could split this into two separate options. He could have gotten in position, turned to the ball, and then made a play on the ball. Now, that could just be batting it away again, better than any of the other results, including the given up touchdown, or if he makes the right play on the ball. And so I'll call this three, you know, 0.5 or call this a fourth option. He could potentially have picked off the ball. Now you could look at it and hear me and say, that's roads. That's a little rose colored. Well, maybe that is the best of available options that the defender picks off the ball. Okay. I'll give you that. Duh. But look at the play itself. Look at the play, the separation that the receiver had, then having to turn back to the ball. And Christian Harris is a pretty fast guy. He could have made up a couple of those steps to get there and put his hands on that ball. And if he puts his hands on the ball, it's either batted away, it's a completion at the point, and he get and, and he makes the tackle, or he comes away with the ball. And I don't think that's too unrealistic. Uh, if you think it is, then look it up. Look up the tape and let's have that conversation because uh, I've looked at it a couple times. That's how I feel about it. Um, it was a bad coverage technique. And here's what's interesting. That is coachable. He didn't get beat because he shouldn't have been out there on this play. Now, you know, it's a combination of the receiver and the quarterback. What What are the odds of Stetson Bennett throwing a pitch-perfect pass in that play that it's going to lead the receiver just right down there. That's a low probability. And so can we get away with Christian Harris in coverage? I mean, it's suboptimal, but can we get away with it? We can, and it could have been played so much better than it was. And so think about a little bit of coaching. It's not a lot, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of looking at that film. And if no one in the office is doing it, then someone said send Christian Harris this podcast because, dude, man, with your supreme athleticism, look at that tape. You could have made a little bit different play. The technique just wasn't there. Let's tighten that up. And then that becomes an option. Instead of saying, oh, we can never put Christian Harris in coverage again. No, 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 no. That's a baby in bathwater. Let's work on the technique just a little bit and let's sort of prioritize our worst case scenarios. Something there's a lot of options we'll take ahead of giving up a touchdown. Now play it that way. Next time you line that up, I'd like to have like 10 minutes having a conversation with them and then line that up and run it again. And so that's the kind of thing easy, easy to coach him up on. Now you could line it up again and he could get physically, athletically, uh, athletically beat with by a much faster receiver. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying where it's 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 a ball that he could get his hand on, play a better technique, let him get his hand on it. All right, so that's a lot to say about that play. I uh, feel very, very strongly about that. When we look at where Georgia scored their 24 points, <clears throat> 14 of it came on plays that I that shouldn't have happened. And so the Christian Harris play shouldn't have happened that way. And the touchdown uh, at the end of half, when we uh, when the tied uh, defense jumped off sides, that shouldn't have happened. And so those are coachable, and that's 14 points uh, that you take off the field. And I'll trade you 14 for six on that all day. If, if you say they're still going to kick field goals, that's fine. I'll trade you 14 for six all day on that one. Uh, let's talk about uh, DeMarco Hellams. Had a really good day, a lot more reps with, um, uh, with Battle being out. He had 11 tackles. Uh, there was one play in particular look, looked like he was covering the back out of the backfield, 
and uh, it just took a bad angle. Uh, the back out of the backfield was kind of taking a loop uh, to try to get to the outside, and Hellams should have maintained his position relative to the line of scrimmage, and then he would have had the angle, and he would have tackled him right at the line of scrimmage. And instead, he looped in with the uh, uh, with the running back, and so he was not able to make up any ground. And so he looped in, locked in sort of his distance from from the from the runner, was not able to tackle him, and then he got help sort of down down the field. Had he run continue uh, perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, then or I'm sorry, parallel to the line of scrimmage, perpendicular to the sideline, then he would have knocked him out right about. Uh, the line of scrimmage. So again, it's subtle, it's technique, uh, and uh, Helms and just his over eagerness to want to tackle the guy where he was right then wasn't anticipating that he needed to be where the guy was going to be uh, so that he could take him down. Again, he still had 11 tackles, and I thought he had a pretty good day. Uh, something to look for there. I think the Alabama corners are looking really good. Uh, Patrick Sertain and Josh Joe are really pleased with the way they're playing. They were picked on a little bit more, uh, not surprisingly. Georgia uh, has better receivers out wide than I think Ole Miss did. I don't think they had nearly as many uh, sort of slot uh, receivers, uh, style receivers. And so I figured they were uh, Georgia was going to go down the field, uh, attack the corners a little bit. They did, and they didn't. They didn't get much. They didn't get much out of it. So I think Job and uh, PS2 are playing very, very well. Uh, Daniel Wright uh, continues to sort of be the enigma. That he has been. I thought he played relatively well uh, on Saturday. Uh, I think he just needs to dial up his consistency. Obviously, his pick was was really good. It was a terrible play uh, by Stetson. He never should have uh, thrown that ball. He would have been much better just taking the sack uh, rather than putting that ball in the air. But he did, and Daniel Wright pulled it down, which is which is what he's supposed to do. But he certainly was in position uh, for that. So uh, hats off to Daniel Wright uh, in that regard. So mini game ball. On the defense, uh, I'm going to go Jordan Battle. I tried to get all the way through defense without naming him, uh, and then I sort of talked myself in a corner where I did have to name him. I'm not going to go so far as to say that Jordan Battle is the reason that the Alabama defense shut out Georgia in the second half, but I will I will agree that he is a reason. And so we'll recall that Battle had to sit out the first half against Georgia. Uh, I think there were adjustments that happened uh, in the second half. Uh, and then also Jordan Battle came back, and so that allowed Alabama to shut out the defense. Now, here's a point that I will make, because hear me, I think this is good stuff. I think Jordan Battle came back, coming back allowed certain adjustments to happen. So hear me say that again. We can go into half without Jordan Battle, and we can design adjustments but the question is, can we execute those adjustments? Do the players that we have out there, are they practiced, seasoned, capable to execute against those adjustments? I'm not going to say no to that. I'm not going to say that they're not. But I will say this, Jordan Battle coming back and being available in the defense certainly improves the likelihood that the defense can handle the adjustments that the coaches have made. So Jordan Battle, mini game ball, I think he allowed, he helped enable. Certainly he makes the defense better, right? Think of six deep with Battle and six deep without it when you go all the way to a dime. It's better with him, okay? But I think his experience, his ability, uh, his understanding of the system relative to other players back there, a couple of true freshmen, um, definitely more experienced playing than someone like a DeMarco Hellams or even potentially even a Daniel Wright enables the coaches to do uh, more in different styles uh, of adjustment. I think that's true. I stand by that. Uh, so Jordan Battle, mini game ball on the defense. All right. I want to make a uh, – I want to get to special teams, talk about next up, but I want to insert sort of another, uh, another little topic here. Uh, I think this game – there's a bigger statement to be made uh, about this game. And so I just want to take a minute and make it. This game – we talked about flipping scripts, right? This game allows Alabama to flip the script on the season. So next up is a struggling uh, Tennessee game, followed by uh, a struggling now Mississippi State team. Uh, both both we need to watch out for. Both can be dangerous, but both uh, I think this Alabama team, I feel confident that they can handle. That puts Alabama in a bye 
after six games. So there's a couple things, dynamics there, right? We have two upcoming opponents that are uh, are very beatable. Then Alabama gets a bye after six games, which if, when you're playing a six, when you're playing a ten week season, that's exactly where you want to buy. You could say five and five, but no, you want to go ahead. The energy, the excitement, the the weekly progression at the beginning of the season, go ahead and take six and then a bye and then finish out with four. So the placement of the bye, I think, is perfect. And we faced our toughest opponent. We just did. And so we've got a couple of struggling teams. Then we've got a bye and then and then we've got four out. And then it's interesting you hear the commentary that the toughest teams left are Kentucky and Arkansas, which one may be true, and two, I'll take that every every season, right? Uh, so uh, in a, in, <laughs> it's kind of funny because there's LSU and Auburn there too, right? Uh, but uh, I don't think uh, of the of those of the four after the bye, um, yeah, who's you know who's playing better? Uh, at any rate, I think uh, I, I I think the schedule sets up well in that regard, and I think the season. The entirety of the season flips. I think it becomes downhill from here. Not in a negative way. I mean downhill in terms of ease of effort. We've crested the peak of the season. Now, I'm not saying coast, but now it's an easier trek the rest of the way. Two games, a bye, and then four games. We're going to start to see uh, Coach Saban uh, extend his bench. We're going to see more breakout players. Uh, and, and we're going to see more rotation of players. We're going to see Bryce Young play a lot more in the, in, I'll call it the second half of the season. It's not mathematically the second half, but work with me. Uh, Javon Baker, we're going to start to see him. He has maybe played a, a few snaps. We're going to see a lot more of him. Uh, uh, Tim Smith played a little bit, nose tackle. Uh, I believe against Georgia, we're going to start to see a lot more of him. Uh, Trey Sanders, we're going to definitely uh, see more of Trey. I think in, in some of these upcoming games, uh, potentially as early as Saturday. Uh, and, and there's, you know, a handful of additional names that that we could list that we're going to see them start to contribute, start to play more. We're going to see a deeper bench. The opponents and the score differential that we're going to see in sort of this next uh, stretch of the season uh, is going to enable that. And then what you have is you have a team that's getting better as the schedule is, uh, call it getting easier while you have a built-in buy, while you're able to extend the bench and not require your starters to play as many reps. And so all of those stack up to the, to the team getting healthier and better as we go, uh, as we go uh, the rest of the way. So I'm super, super excited about that. We all should be, and we all should watch that very closely. Uh, what, you know, when in the game do we start to see player rotations and then who do we see? Who do we who do we then highlight? What players do we bring in when the starters are still in, but we're starting to sort of uh, uh, bring some other folks in? I think Javon and Trey Smith, are, uh, Trey Sanders, uh, fit that bill. Tim Smith playing with the defense, I think, you know, fits that bill uh, as well. So what kind of rotation do we see? Not not wholesale second team, but guys on the fringes rotating in with the ones to allow rest with the ones. But what do we start to see there? What do we start to do, see? And we talked about this earlier in the season and some of the preseason. What do we start to see down the stretch with someone uh, potentially competing for uh, the center spot? That ship may have sailed, but maybe not. And uh, so let's those are the types of things we want to watch as we get into, again, not mathematically, but uh, sort of philosophically, the, the second half of the season. All right, let's take a look at special teams. Well, what do you want to say? Will Reichert, uh, two for two on his kicks, five for five uh, on his PATs. Uh, but do, is there anything else we want to talk about uh, other than the 52-yard kick? Uh, so much to unpack with that one. Uh, it's a 52-yard kick for a college kicker. I don't care who the guy is. It's a 52-yard kick for an Alabama kicker, which by itself has its own meaning. It's a 52-yard kick for Will Reichert, who's a very talented kicker, but who spent most of last season injured. And so there's a prove-it uh, to, to this kick. And it's a 52-yard kick at a game where it's the number one defense, number one offense. It's the, it's the game of the century of the season. And it's right before half. It's a critical opportunity. Georgia just scored. It's a critical opportunity. The offense just put some plays together to 
to create this platform for this kick, like everything that could stack up. I mean, the only thing that could be different is it's the end of the game to win it, but everything that can be stacked up, it even, even approximates an end of the game moment because it's an end of the half moment. They've got to spike it and it's one second. We're going to bitch about the timing in the seconds and all of this to get it to work. Like everything goes into this witch's brew of pressure for, uh, for Riker and he goes in and nails it. Now it sort of danced down this sideline. It looked like down sort of the, 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 the line there uh, on the TV screen. And it looked like, you know, like a, a golf swing. Is it going to hook or slice? And it looked like it's not even sure what it's going to do. Uh, and it sort of, you know, the equivalent is like toe tap down the sideline and it just got in the upright, but it counts and it's a 52 yarder. And I'll say this, that would, that, is a 52-yard field goal, three points, and is worth twice as much. Uh, That was a six-point field goal if there ever was one. Uh, Obviously not in the scoreboard, but in terms of motivating the team, that kick, look, here's what it is. That kick tied it up. Yeah, it was still a four-point margin, but that kick tied it up. It was the offensive execution to allow the kick to happen. It was the kick execution that went in, and it it was the motivation. It was the shot in the arm that the team needed just the boost of confidence that that gave Alabama versus sort of the dread uh, that that gave uh, Georgia. That kick was worth a lot more than three points. Uh, That's the point I want to make. All right. Um, Punting, Ah, man. Um, You know, there's a theory and I, and I don't think it's wrong. I think it shouldn't apply. You know, coach talks about, I talk all the time about setting a floor and I think there's, I think there's value there. Uh, I think, I subscribe to that theory and Saban talks about it all the time. And he's in particular the punting. He's talked about, I want to know that we can cover the punt. And so I don't want a 50 yard punt that we can't cover versus, you know, a 40 yard punt that we can. Well, okay. I'll agree with that, but give me the damn 40 yard punt. What we had is four for an average of 33. That's a different thing that now we're not comparing apples and apples, a 50 that you can't cover and a 40 that you can I'll trade. I'll do that every day. I will make that exchange every day. But give me the 40. If you're giving me 33s, nope, then it's a different bet. It's a different ball game. Then I might risk. Then I might be willing to, to take the longer kick. And I think that's what Alabama needs to look at. I think that there's, uh, there is, in my mind, a growing serious need uh, for work in that regard. And it was stark the difference between uh, Georgia's punter and the position that, that he was putting Alabama in versus uh, Sam Johnson. I'm not mad at the kid. It's just the nature of it in the position that he was putting the Alabama defense in uh, really helping uh, Georgia with short fields uh, on a couple of, a couple of occasions. And we can't have that. We can't have that. We may not need it for the balance of the season, uh, regular season, but we're going to need it. Uh, if we play Georgia again, if we play Florida in the SEC uh, championship game, we're going to need someone that can punt it more than 30 yards. Um, that's just all there is to it. Uh, PST on the penalty on uh, the punt return. Uh, that's so aggravating. Uh, it was so unneeded, and then it, it sort of brought back uh, what was otherwise a really uh, a really good return uh, by Waddle. But special teams, a lot to like there, especially the kick by Reich. Uh, Man, that was spot on. It's what the fans needed. It's what the team needed. It's what he needed. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff there. All right, so next up, Alabama travels to Knoxville. Uh, we all hate Tennessee. We all hate We all hate the Vols. And so, uh, and this is a team that is really off the rails. Uh, they were dismantled by Georgia, this same Georgia team that, that we took the hood off of. And then they lost just embarrassingly to Kentucky. I think it was back in the 70s, was it that far back? Last time that uh, Tennessee lost to Kentucky, it was either the margin or the game location. I can't remember. There's a couple couple of stats about that. that I've, it's a long time that what happened had happened <laughs> to, uh, to t- in a Tennessee-Kentucky game. Just really embarrassing. And there's some commentary about, I think during the game they benched their quarterback. Uh, he threw quite a number of interceptions, uh, multiples uh, return for touchdowns. So, you know, almost that's the safe thing to do for the quarterback is just get him out and get your head right. Today's not your day. The discussion of whether or not he's going to start next week or someone else, I think Jeremy Pruitt said, I don't know. 
probably probably not his best soundbite uh, in that question. You have to have a plan. You have to create confidence uh, with your team, with your quarterback. Uh, he could have said something. You know, Gitmo had a had a rough outing, and so we pulled him out. And uh, but we're going to stand by him and go forward. Something like that. Or you got to you got to say you know we're going to have tough competition probably, but you know we're going to take a look. I don't know. There's I don't know what I would say in that situation, but I wouldn't have said what he did. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. I don't know what their quarterback roster is behind him, and um, I think that informs what you're going to say today. But I think he could have handled that a little bit better. Nonetheless, um, it's discord, it's distraction because the first you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Every question is going to be about who's playing quarterback, and that that is a distraction for a team. There's no two ways about it. Uh, and then who's going to play quarterback? Because now they've got to keep keep up with Mac Jones uh, and a Alabama defense that might be sort of getting it right. And so just that narrative, that negative narrative. Again, it's positive from our side, but from the the Jeremy Pruitt, the Tennessee, the Volunteers perspective, that's a negative narrative that sort of you know congeals into. Uh, you know, potentially a bad day. And guess what? I think it is going to be a bad day. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I think Alabama plays uh, a much deeper bench. I think the only thing I didn't do is write down my my score. All right, 51 to 10. 51 to 10 is my score prediction. And I think I never root for a guy to get fired. Uh, I really, really don't. Um, my lone exception might be rooting for Jeremy Pruitt to get fired <laughs> uh, because I think that solves uh, a, a couple of things. I think that gets him out of Tennessee. Um, I think it shows Phil Fulmer for who he really is. Uh, and then perhaps most importantly, uh, it gives us a legit candidate to do something different uh, at the defensive coordinator position at Alabama. Uh, and again, I think that that could be that could really be something. So watch out. Uh, watch out for that. All right. Friendly reminder. At the end of the show, I need your best or favorite Bryant-Denny Stadium story. The best story is going to be legendary. Did you see what I did there? You're the, the best story will win a pair of tumblers or pints, your choice, from legendary drinkware. These things are incredible. Like I said, I've got one in my hand. I haven't been holding it the whole time. I just picked it back up. And this thing is phenomenal. It makes me want to go downstairs and put some brown water in it, but it's probably too late for that uh, on a Sunday night. But this thing is phenomenal. When you look at it, you you just you instantly are going to want one. And so check it out, legendarydrinkware.com. Use promo code AFB. 10 for a 10% discount that triggers you getting the discount that triggers them knowing that we sent you, which is awesome. Uh, so go grab you a pair. And in the meantime, give me submit to me your best or favorite Bryant Denny stadium story at Alabama football podcast.com. We'll go through those entries. The best entry will win a pair of those glasses. Uh, and again, fantastic. Well worth it. You got to check them out. And this contest will run through, we'll give these away in the Mississippi State um, podcast. So you got, you know, about a week and a half to get them in in time for us to, to review. But go ahead and do it today. Why not, right? And so we'll have it uh, because everyone else that wants to do it, half of, the, half of them will forget. So if you do it right now, that increases your odds significantly. And if you go order a, a pair of glasses now, that increases your odds of having those in time for the next ballgame. Which, uh, which is definitely a win. All right, with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.